You're listening to the free, abridged edition of the Energy Transition Show. American coal. Nuclear energy. Natural gas. Hydro. Solar power. Wind turbines. We're becoming a monumental exporter of natural gas. This boom in the United States is not a bubble that's going away. The oil's still there. I'd rather pump it from another country and save ours, and then when the rest of the world runs out, hey, guess what? We can still turn on our lights. We've run into a problem where we have constraints, where there are limits now. The new phase we're going into related to the exhaustion of these resources, there's no replacement. This is a one-shot affair, and we're unprepared for it. Really, we do not have very much more time to get a handle on this problem. It's better to get to a renewable future, a sustainable future, sooner rather than later. Get there before we do the environmental damage, not after. For September 5th, 2018, this is the Energy Transition Show with Chris Nelder. A person just entering college today who's interested in studying energy may find it hard to imagine how different the entire project of energy transition is today than it was just 15 years ago. Today, it's quite common for a large corporate headquarters to have a solar PV array on its roof. 15 years ago, it was considered a new and risky thing to do. Today, we have an entire industry working on a wide array of distributed energy solutions, like smart buildings that know when it's cheap and when it's expensive to consume electricity, and that can arbitrage those times without sacrificing the comfort of the building's occupants. Or like small battery storage systems installed at thousands of homes and businesses, providing not just backup for when the grid goes down, but participating actively in grid power markets as both buyers and sellers of services. None of those things even existed 15 years ago. In fact, the undergraduate and graduate classes now being offered around the world on new kinds of energy technologies, including classes focused on energy transition specifically, like the growing number that use this podcast as coursework, well, they didn't exist either when people like me were going to school. When I was in college, solar meant a system that heated water for a pool or a domestic hot water system, and a lot of them were sitting around broken after being installed 15 years earlier by companies that had since gone out of business. Solar photovoltaics weren't really a thing that most people even knew about back then. The power grid was built along a hub-and-spoke design, just as God intended, and no one ever questioned that. Energy meant oil and gas and coal and nuclear, and those industries were overwhelmingly populated by men. All of that is changing now. So I thought it would be fun for a little perspective and a change of pace to bring on a guest who's had a front row seat in energy transition over the past 15 years. Actually, that's probably not the right metaphor as she's been a part of the show, not a spectator. Robin Beavers has had a remarkable career in energy that included stints at Google, NRG, the Department of Energy, and Vestas, and she did it all starting as a young woman in a man's industry. Now she's working on a very cool new project bringing energy intelligence to buildings, as you'll hear in this episode. She's also the spouse of Liam Denning, who you may remember as our guest in episodes 66 and 67. She's got a wealth of knowledge and a unique perspective, and it's a treat to finally have her on the show. Then in the news segment, we'll look at the dimming prospects for coal power in the U.S., update the ongoing train wreck of the unfinished Votal nuclear plant in Georgia and the abandoned V.C. summer nuclear plant in South Carolina, look at the financial liabilities of California utility PG&E related to wildfires in California last year, and briefly tour the record-breaking heat and wildfires that seem to have set the entire world aflame this year as climate change continues to take its toll. But first, our interview with Robin Beavers, recorded August 11th, 2018. So let's bring her into the conversation now. Welcome, Robin, to the Energy Transition Show. 
Thanks very much for having me. You know, it actually took a few months since we had your husband, Liam Denning, on the show and and really realized that we needed to get you on the show. So I'm glad to finally have you here, especially since really you have a much more impressive resume than either of us do. <laughs> well, that's not true, but <laughs> Liam does have the accent, so I might be fun to listen to. That's true. It, it makes him sound smart. <laughs> you've had a pretty amazing career. In just 15 years, you've gone from being the executive assistant to the founders at Google to helping to implement green building practices at the company's flagship headquarters, and then founding the company's green business and operations strategy group, where in 2007, you brought into existence one of the largest corporate installations of solar in the world at the time. A 1.7 megawatt PV array on the roof of Google's headquarters. And then you spent the summer of 2009 at the Department of Energy helping to launch the Property Assessed Clean Energy, or PACE, program, which provides seed funding for state energy offices to help homeowners finance solar systems. And then in 2010, you moved on to WindMade, an NGO sponsored by Vestas, Lego, and Bloomberg, which worked to help large companies invest in wind generation. And then in 2012, you went to DECA, where you helped commercialize power generation products invented by founder Dean Kamen, who also invented the Segway. And then in 2013, you founded the Station A Group in San Francisco, which is when I met you. That was a Skunk Works project of NRG when you had a team working on developing advanced microgrid solutions. And then two and a half years later, you went to Lenar, a major home builder, where you spun off our current venture, Blueprint Power, which uses state-of-the-art automation tools to manage the energy demands of buildings, turning them into active participants in energy markets. I mean, wow, it's like a 30-year career executed in half the time. So I guess my first question is, how did you manage to be so incredibly successful and have so many amazing gigs? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you for that intro. I mean, I still feel like there's so much left to do. It's just really the beginning for anyone in this space. And I think anyone who's dedicated their career to the energy transition realizes that you're pretty much set for life in the job security department. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's like many, many years of work ahead to push this forward. Oh, but, for sure. Yeah. Like, um, I don't ever think I'm going to run out of topics to talk about on this show. Yeah, absolutely not. There's no way. It's, yeah. And which is exciting, but it requires patience and you really have to build up a thick skin to handle the dramatic swings of excitement and disappointment that come along in this industry. True. So it's new, it's volatile. So I think my career has really required me to be flexible and willing to jump to to new spots where there's, you know, a better vantage point as things evolve and, you know, just where the opportunity is at the time. I mean, I have to believe you're an amazing networker as well, at the very least. Well, you know, I have been lucky to have worked with some incredible innovators and leaders along the way, which you benefit from knowing their network. I mean, they're yeah. impressive people are usually surrounded by very impressive people. True. But also, you know, I learned so much from them. And it's this common thread across a lot of the folks I've worked with is that you can't take the status quo for granted or just assume that is truth. And there's always room to make things better if you're open-minded and really willing to put the work in to solve the problems and to not give up. So yeah. I think I have benefited from learning from so many you know, fabulous innovators in the world. I believe that. Well, I mean, having had all these experiences and having worked to advance the energy transition from multiple viewpoints and industry subsectors, both on the supply side and increasingly on the demand side, you know, I'm curious, like, what are some of your insights on energy transition sort of broadly as a phenomenon that's happening? 
Sure. So I think the resounding thing that remains the same is this stuff is hard. You know, there's not some simple arbitrage opportunity or just, you know, something someone hasn't thought about that undoes all the difficulty. It's just hard. And, you know, from the beginning, there were a lot of obstacles in the way of realizing this energy transition. I think many of us share the same vision and have for many years, but executing it is very, very difficult. And it's about removal of barriers. It's about patience for technology to catch up, for cost points to be ready, for the regulatory side of it to evolve in the right way, which is, you know, a whole other set of complexities customers and the end users of electricity have had very different roles throughout history. And, you know, their awareness really matters in terms of how quickly adoption occurs. And business models, which have previously been limited because of a lot of these barriers, there hasn't been a lot of innovation around business models for electricity and energy that, you know, I think there's a lot of exciting opportunity there as well. It's important to give credit to all the progress that has happened, though, too, despite all of this. When I was at Google, it was a big deal to justify putting solar panels on a roof, which is now a very straightforward business and value proposition. A very conventional thing to do for a big Very conventional. Yeah. Yeah, for big corporation, for individuals, for a lot of people. And at that time, it was because they were expensive. There wasn't even enough solar panels in the world to supply all the few number of projects at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and you I was know, in the like, business in 2004, 2005, and that was eventually the main reason I left the business was I just couldn't get panels. Yeah, absolutely. That was a big issue. And also, I mean, you were clearly at the forefront, but there weren't a lot of people who knew how to install them no, either or like put them in. And um, yeah. So zoom forward now, obviously none of that's an issue and we're seeing similar, I think batteries are in like a similar phase right now, but it's oh, moving faster, yeah. but it's just good to remember the progress that has been made just to keep that positive momentum going forward. You know, I appreciate your perspective on that because it's something that has actually just sort of been dawning on me recently is how many trends had to sort of evolve in parallel, I suppose, for the past decade to get to the point where we can now have the convergence that's allowing the energy transition to really accelerate now. We needed all those things that you mentioned to really mature and advance in a very significant way to get to the point where all of this stuff put together can now be viable. Yes. I really do feel like things are just heating up from that regard. You know, regulatory frameworks are evolving in different areas. The technology costs are falling. Different industries are starting to become more educated and get involved, which ends up injecting some creativity into problem solving. It's not just the usual suspects working with the same parameters. Because of this, you will see that business model innovation that I'm really excited about. You'll see appetite for different types of financial partners who just want to funnel capital into the industry and are waiting for it to be de-risked at the right moment. Even folks who were treated as customers, which, you know, have historically been called, you know, ratepayers or off takers, <laughs> you know, now they can actually be treated as customers or potentially something more, you know, like suppliers yeah. or participants. So it's it's an exciting time right now because of all of that legacy work in the last two decades. Yeah. And I'm also just now thinking there was also another important parallel evolution 
along with building up a workforce that was able to build and install wind turbines and solar at a mass scale, we also have needed to start training up people in the academy. Mm -hmm. There have been a whole new set of classes being offered at the university and the postgraduate level over the past 10 years related to energy transition that definitely like, none of that existed when I was going to school. Oh, yeah. And when I was there, yeah. too. So I'm jealous of the curriculum that yeah, exists now. <laughs> when I was in undergrad, I studied civil engineering, and it was structural engineering, essentially. So how buildings were built and all of the building systems and you know structural stuff. And in parallel, I was reading all these great books coming out, such as Cradle to Cradle and you know, natural capital and all these wonderful concepts that were not yep. being taught to me. <laughs> yep. I was reading those same books at the same time. Yeah, yeah. You know, they were pivotal. And sure. I was so frustrated that there is a disconnect. And I do not think that exists today at all. I think there's a lot of that type of thinking that people are benefiting from now, which is great. Yeah, it's an established curriculum now. And in fact, our friend Dustin Mulvaney, a professor in Santa Cruz, has just come out with his first book. It's a textbook on energy transition. Oh, great. He's a subscriber to the show. Dave Murphy, another old friend and one of our first guests on the show, longtime supporter of the show, has been working on his textbook on energy transition. So we're we're finally actually getting some proper texts <laughs> out there as well. Yes. But I mean, it's sort of amazing, really. For years, I've had people, you know, writing to me and saying, hey, you know, what's a good textbook I can use to teach? you know, electricity system 101. I'm like, uh... Oh, well, actually, <laughs> I I misspoke. There's the original, the OG textbook and professor at Stanford, Gil Masters, who I don't know if you've ever had him on the show, but I'm just not. thinking you should absolutely What's get him the title on the of that show. book? I'll put it in the show notes. Oh, man. It's something like, it might as well be Energy Systems 101, but he has inspired a lot of... Stanford graduates over the last 30 years to go into the space. So Great. I will make sure you guys know each other. All right. And I'll put that yeah. in the show notes. Okay. So how do you think the energy industry has really changed from where it was 15 years ago? I mean, there's been so many parallel evolutions as we've been talking about here, but are there specific parts of the energy industry itself that strike you as being remarkably different from where they were 15 years ago? So... I think this is a theme you like to talk about too a lot, Chris, but oh, yeah. the biggest change for me is on top of all of the other things like in the electricity space with regulatory changes and technology advancement and commercialization, we are seeing previously mutually exclusive worlds in the energy space, such as natural gas, oil, wind, solar, buildings, mobility. They're all starting to intertwine into one big tangled mess <laughs> that is full of opportunity, essentially. Oh, yeah, it's an interesting observation. Yeah. You know, when you start thinking about them as connected systems now, it kind of changes the game. And I remember when I was in the wind industry, you know, this is even six years ago, I remember there was this mentality about wind versus solar. Like it was a winner take all yeah. moment. <laughs> and it's silly, but it was true at the time. And now that conversation is irrelevant. It's more about how there's a role for everything, both at the utility scale and the distributed scale, and figuring out the right collection of parts and how you wrap them with the clever alignment of incentives and how you unlock that meaningful demand, which catalyzes a new order of magnitude of adoption of the new energy grid. Yeah. And that to me is what is happening. And it's important to note because when you started out in the solar industry, you didn't really have to worry about 
the global dynamics of the oil industry. You just knew you were you were in a different world, essentially. And now, yeah. now you can't ignore it. You have to be knowledgeable about all of the different energy sectors. Well, truth be told, I guess the main reason why I decided to get out of my long career in software and get into the solar business was because of my awareness of the impending and developing problems in the oil sector. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all like full circle again. Yeah. And it's, um, but now, it, you know, beyond just being a reaction and trying to solve some of the real urgent issues it was creating, there's going to be moments now for collaboration and, you know, interconnection for those things too. It's not, again, it's not a winner takes all mentality, at least in the medium term, in my opinion. We hope you've enjoyed this free sample of the Energy Transition Show. Our full episodes cover much more and are generally at least an hour long. In addition to two full new episodes each month, subscribers can also view interactive transcripts of our interviews and explore our extensive show notes with links to all the research resources and news items for each episode. Our subscription podcast works in all podcast apps and players, including iTunes, and is downloadable. The first 33 episodes of the Energy Transition Show were free and always will be. So if you want to see what our full shows contain, feel free to check those out. Then we hope you'll become a member and support our show. To become a subscriber and enjoy our full offerings, just point your browser to energytransitionshow.com and join. Annual subscriptions are just $60 a year. Monthly subscriptions and per-episode purchases are also available. In order to bring you the most unfiltered, unbiased, honest information we can produce, we have elected not to take any sponsors or advertisers. 100% of the revenue that makes the Energy Transition Show possible comes from listener subscriptions. And let me offer a special welcome to the students and educators out there who have joined our new subscribers. A half dozen university classes are now using the show as coursework, with more joining all the time, so welcome. And if you're a student or an educator who would like to inquire about our unbeatable educational discount, just shoot me an email at chris at energytransitionshow.com and we'll work something out for you. So join us today and support our ad-free, hormone-free, organic, handcrafted, artisanal podcast featuring high-quality, cutting-edge interviews and news about the most important story of our time, energy transition. And now a quick look at some recent news items. Item 1. According to a new report from the Rhodium Group, half of the remaining fleet of coal-fired power plants in the U.S., plus a large chunk of the nuclear fleet, could close by 2030 as they succumb to lower-cost competition from natural gas and renewables under Rhodium's low-cost scenario. Even under a high-cost, high-growth scenario, in which natural gas prices rise from around $3 per million BTU today to more than $4, and the capacity factor of coal plants rises by nearly 50%, Rhodium projects that coal plant retirements will be roughly roughly 65% more than currently planned, and higher than projected in the U.S. Energy Information Administration's reference case. None of this will be shocking to transition watchers, of course, but it does explain why the Trump administration is trying every trick in the book to keep coal plants in business. According to the report, quote, stopping or slowing the next wave of retirements could require market interventions at a grand scale, with costs and market distortions that may make such actions a hard sell. Item 2. The ongoing train wrecks of the still-unfinished Votal nuclear plant in Georgia and the abandoned V.C. Summer nuclear plant in South Carolina have continued to deliver a stream of shocking stories. So many, in fact. Well, that's it for this episode of the Energy Transition Show. Thanks for listening. You can find our show archive and give us feedback and suggestions at energytransitionshow.com and follow us on Twitter at Transition Show. 
Our theme music was by Mike Sugar and Mark Burnfield, who you can find online at MikeSugarMusic.com. The Energy Transition Show is a production of the XE Network. Thank you.